Gumbo batted in and out down the lane. And the foul. Rebounded inside O'Bannon, who banks it in. Here's O'Bannon. He's been sensational. To the bucket! O'Bannon, the senior, the last time he will ever play on this court at Freedom Hall, and he flat can't miss. Welcome in, guys, to the Player's Perspective Uncensored with Larry O'Bannon. I am super elated to be here with you guys. So glad that you guys are tuned in to the podcast today. This is Bourbon 101. That is the name of today's episode. It's going to be a good one because we're going to be getting a little bit of a brown water education. Of course, you know I'm talking about the good stuff, the bourbon. Today, we'll be talking with bourbon enthusiasts Kenny Coleman and Fred Minnick of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. Now, these guys are some serious bourbon players. These guys think, sleep, and dream bourbon all day, every day. They're always breaking news. They're writing reviews. They're analyzing. They're tasting. They're judging. So there's some big time players and we're fortunate enough to have them on the podcast today. So we're going to be chopping it up with these gentlemen to see if we can pick up a thing or two about bourbon that we possibly didn't know before. And for our bourbon selection of the day. Now, this is where the bourbon selection of the day actually takes a little bit of a twist. Kenny had a wonderful idea. He had caught wind of some different bottles that I had been hunting for. So he and Fred set up a blind tasting for me as the bourbon selection of the day. I thought it was a great idea. I was more than willing to go with it. So we're going to jump into the podcast with these fellas and talk with the guys from Bourbon Pursuit. Good. So, I, I, so I know we're going to get into uh, a bourbon tasting and all that. We're going to talk about bourbon. But I, I used to be a sports writer and I'm uh, you know fast. I've always been a huge sports fan. And you've had an amazing career and you've worked your butt off, you know, since you since you got out of uh, U of L, you know, basically playing for. Uh, teams around the world. What's uh, what's your what's your driving factor? Because you, I mean, you're a grinder. Really, just love for the game, love for different experiences. Obviously, it pays well. I wouldn't be doing it this long if I hadn't been paying well. But just to travel and experience different cultures around the world, you know, a lot of things you read about, you see in books and magazines in school, mm-hmm. but to actually be embraced and living in that culture and to be able to go and see the western wall to go to be able to see the eiffel tower to go and to be able to see the arc de triomphe you know these are things that are priceless and if people, I, if people I, pay you to go see these things uh they pay me to live there <laughs> <laughs> and just in my spare time you know i just go and visit and take advantage of the cultures that i'm in That's and so awesome. if i had played in the nba Maybe I would have went and seen these things. Maybe not. Good chance I probably wouldn't have. But, you know, I've experienced a lot of things that are just priceless. And more so, my family's been able to come and travel and see mm-hmm. things uh, in different cultures. And so that's really filling for me. And so and that's you, you, when you were great. When you were in, uh, you've been in some places too that are, you know, sometimes, you know, considered unsafe. Like when you were in Israel, did you ever feel you know, unsafe at times or anything like that? You know, it's it's funny, man. I was thinking that same thing before I went there. And so I reached out to a guy that I knew that was playing there. And he said, man, it's nothing like what you see on TV. Mm-hmm. And so he was a guy that I trusted. And I'm like, oh, okay, so I'll give it a shot. So I went over there and man, it was awesome. And people always ask me to this day, if you had to choose some place where you would go and you live outside the U.S., I always tell people I'd go and live in Israel. Oh, wow. It is yeah. very Americanized. 
it, the people are very nice. My majority of the people speak English. And it's funny because when I went to play there, I was trying to get my family to come. And my dad's willing to get on a plane and go anywhere. I don't care if I'm in World War III, he's coming. And so my mom was had that same trepidation. She was like, I don't know. It's, it doesn't seem safe. I really don't even like you being there. And I'm like, Mom, just, just trust me. It's nothing like what's on the news or what you think. And so I was finally able to convince her to get on the plane and come and, you know, see Tel Aviv, see Jerusalem. And now it's her favorite place ever. She's oh, made wow. multiple trips there. And we went to all the religious sites, the, you know, the mm. place where Jesus was crucified, the place where he was risen, where they laid his body and took her to Nazareth, took her to Bethlehem. And she's been to all these sites. My mother was even, even baptized in the Jordan River. And so wow. she's in love with Israel. She loves it. She even wants to go back. And so Israel is wonderful. So it, it's been a wonderful grind, man. And like I said, just the experiences, obviously want to, you know, take care of my family and make some money playing a game of basketball. But just the whole experience of just being in other cultures, man, has been wonderful for me. Okay. Russ Ridiculous is a friend of mine too. And like, he's a, you know, he's a grinder as well. I just have so much respect for, all that you guys do out on the road and everything. And just, I know, I know that they, they can't, can't be easy, you know? So it's just, so cheers to you for like an incredible career. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I appreciate that. Thanks. Man. Thanks for having us on. This is a real yeah. treat for us. Mind you, I'm blind, I'm, I'm blind toasting here. I'm not That's sure right. what I'm <clears throat> sipping. So I'm, I'm going to do a nose aroma first. I'm going to do a nose so aroma. So I think you, you, you had asked us to like, kind of give you a little uh, coaching going into this. So tell me about your progression from when you first started with bourbon, what you started drinking. Cause typically, you know, like myself, I started with makers. That mm -hmm. was, you know, I think that's a lot of times what people start with just because being from Kentucky, Makers is probably the most popular branded bourbon uh, that you see, yep. in, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, so Makers is what I started with. And then, so I'm now I'm, I'm learning progressions. I'm starting to learn about other bourbons. It's really piqued my interest. You can say I've sort of traded in my Jordans mm -hmm. for the bourbon now. I've sort of become a bourbon hound. Oh, were I, you were you a sneakerhead? I was. Yeah, yeah, I was a sneakerhead. I mean, man. it's still it's still a it's kind of a very similar world between it, bourbon and sneakers. It is. You know, you got people lining up, camping out the night before releases and things like that. And all of this has sort of drawn me in into the craze, into the phenomenon. And it's like okay, and so like yourself, I find myself reading, trying to find out more about bourbon. Um, what's changing the flavoring? What little factors? Uh, have to do with the flavoring, the barrels, the fruits, the water. I find myself going to more distilleries now, doing more tours, and just trying to take in as much information as I can to really learn about bourbon. And I always tell people, like, no, I'm not some just non-functioning alcoholic. I said, I'm just... <laughs> You're very functioning. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm like, you know, we, we do gentlemen's drink, I said, but it's just, I think something that's really channeled that competitive edge in me that I take from the basketball side. And so I've sort of become like this bourbon hound of just stopping in just random liquor stores, just trying to find a rare bottle of, you know, Pappy or Blanton's just for example, of just, or whatever it is that you may be looking for or something that you've tasted at a bar. You'd be like, oh, okay, that's really nice. I'm gonna try to find a bottle of that. And so I just find myself just doing random stops now. And so I love it. And that's one of the reasons I'm really, Wanting to talk to you guys. Glad that I got you guys on the podcast today just to kind of 
fill my bucket full of knowledge of just some things that I don't know, and I'm always a sponge of wanting to learn more about yeah. bourbon. We're buckets of knowledge. Well, the, the the progression, you know, it's like uh, for me in terms of one of the one of the big things for me that was very important for my career was that I was really trained in uh, how to taste in wine, and I I carried that over into into bourbon, and that helped me, you know, from an analytical perspective. And I also I also use a technique that helped me kind of recover uh, from my time in war uh, called mindfulness. Mm-hmm. And so everybody, what I taste, it, you could be very different than what you taste. And for example, like I get when I get a bitter note, I can I can laser that in to say that's a pecan shell. You may taste that same note, and that bitterness to you is like uh, you know somewhere. You know that's different. You're like you just like it's it's bitter, but I don't know what it is. Maybe it's like a dark chocolate bitterness or something. Right. Uh, so what what I recommend people do is is to to analyze every single thing when you're tasting. And so whether you're getting a Big Mac or you're uh, you're judging your family's uh, gumbo cooking contest. <laughs> Put it in your mouth and feel the flavors around your tongue and kind of notate where things are hitting on your tongue. So, like, you may notice that you get a certain type of spice on the tip of your tongue, and you can identify that later. And if you ever taste that again, you know, you've got muscle memory in your head of, like, your palate. It's it's an ever-working creature. It's like a muscle. This is like a muscle just like your legs are, like your back, your shoulders. And so... You can you can memorize things on your palate, and you can identify them in the whiskey later on. So whenever you're eating anything, um, notate in your head where that stuff is, uh, how it's hitting, what's it what it feels like, and then um, you know bourbon le- lends itself to a lot of sweeter things uh, because of that new charred oak barrel uh, releases a lot of. Uh, um, a lot of caramels and coconuts and wood sugars, if you will. And when you, that's not to say you need to go to um, a bakery and eat all their pies or anything, but <laughs> but if you if you have a sweet tooth, um, you know, I, I would recommend like tasting like the little niblets of different types of sweets because you inevitably will find those in in bourbon. So that's like one way I can tell you to like how to like really progress your palate and it you can you can accomplish so much just by studying the the foods you eat and the foods you like one example is there's a very popular american whiskey called jack daniels it has a very predominant banana note it's it's there for almost everybody who tastes it and sometimes they can't figure it out they can't point it out but you find people who like hate jack daniels come to find out they don't like bananas and so, like, you go through, like, uh, you talk to people about what kind of flavors they like, and you can you can identify the things that you don't like, and you stay away from those types of bourbons. But that that's my advice to you of, like, how to, to train your palate and get yourself in that uh, way. In terms of, like, getting the whiskey, 
you're in the same boat with the rest right. of us. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. You just don't go to my store. Right. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, Fred is, he's easily the the foremost expert on all this, right? I mean, Fred writes books about this. He's, he's very well known for every tasting. And I pride myself in being like the one person of Bourbon Pursuit that is absolutely terrible at tasting notes. Like, um, I can, I can taste a good whiskey and I know what a good whiskey is, but I, for the life of me, like, I can't sit there and think that, oh, this tasted like uh, my grandma's pumpkin pie back when I was a kid. Like, I just, I can't, right. pull, I, it's hard right. for me to pull some of those, uh, those, those memories out. And every once in a while, I'm, I'm training myself, I'm getting better and better, but for, for, for this podcast and for what you're sitting at the table right now, Fred is by far going to be the, your, your expert when it comes to any kind of tasting notes and stuff like that. And he so- sells himself short, by the way. <laughs> he's actually he's actually very good. If there's a note that he loves, um, it's oak, and so he yes. loves um, he likes things that. So that's why you see, like on his shelf, he's got a lot of older products. Mm-hmm. But that's because his palate leans toward having oak, you know. And that's uh, for me. I'm absolutely sensitive to oak. And on some days, you know, like some days, like your jump shot, your shot's just not there. You know, some days my palate is not, is not a hundred percent. And on those days, I'm very sensitive to oak and I will, I will like rip it apart. Um, and that, so I've given really low scores to products that, uh, some people raved about. Um, like one of the lowest scores I gave when I was at Whiskey Advocate was uh, to a Parker's Heritage release. I think it was. Uh, Is that the twenty-seven year old? Twenty-seven year old. You liked that one a lot, didn't you? Oh, I mean, it's. Uh, I, I enjoy it. Uh, yeah, and it's it's <laughs> definitely it's, but it's also one for the faint of heart if you're looking to purchase it nowadays but, too. But that's just it. It's like see, like someone who loves oak will absolutely love the twenty-seven year old. But if you read my tasting notes. You would you would be able to cling to that instead of like just identifying my seventy two point score, right? You know? And so I'm I'm more so along the line with Kenny because I'm still trying to train my palates and train my tasting buds on, mm-hmm. on what it is that I'm tasting because sometimes I'll incur a flavor or a aroma or whether you're nosing it or tasting it, and it's like ah, I just can't quite pinpoint what that is. But I'm gonna take note and just label it as whatever it is, I'm going to label it as, and I'm just going to remember that. And so sometimes when I read reviews or I read about something that I haven't tasted and then I go out and taste it for myself and it's like, okay, like I didn't taste marshmallow or mm-hmm. what the wood taste. What is, what is it? What do you say? It has a woody finish. What, what, you know, what is that is? And so I actually know what the wood taste is now. I actually, I'm trying to think of what bourbon that was I had. You know, blade and bow. Okay, I was yep. trying to yep. blade. I was trying to blade and bow, and it gave me that woody aftertaste. And I'm like, okay, I, I get it now. I understand what somebody says. So it has a a woody or oak flavor. So I'm mm-hmm. taking it. That's what that is. And so I guess the more bourbons that I try, the more flavors I'll incur, and so I'll be able to taste some of these different notes. I mean, like you said, we may taste the same thing, but. It may exactly. come off different yeah. to each one of our taste palettes. And so that's what I'm learning as well. And like I said, I just, I'm starting this progression of going through and tasting and learning as I grow. And mm-hmm. uh, it's really exciting, man. So let's see. That's also when people like a lot of people also hate Fred, right? Because Fred will be like, oh, these are the tasting notes that I get on it. And this is what I rate it. And then all of a sudden somebody goes and tries to buy that same exact bottle. And they're like, I don't, I don't have this. Like, is, is there something wrong with me? Like, right. I can't figure this out. Yeah, that's true. And and I and I tell people all the time like this is 
these are mine. This is what I taste. And and there's a lot of people who are always writing me like, our palates are aligned. And like and it's like people send me these messages of like <laughs> It's like a my, love letter. My almost. my palate's not aligned with yours. I'm just not getting this. I'm like, that's okay. You know, go taste for yourself. This is you know. Um And that's also one, you know, coming back to the whole thing of research and getting to know more about bourbon is, you know, if you if you find a writer that you like, whether it's Fred or whether it's the guys at Breaking Bourbon or whether it's Blake over at Bourboner, right. you know, everybody comes out with different kinds of tasting notes and what they get on a particular whiskey. And if you can find one of those avenues where you're starting to say like, okay, as Fred said, I align more with this one, then you can look at that as more of a trusted resource of your kind of like exploration, your journey of actually finding whiskeys that are more tailored or palatable to you. So yeah. let, me, let, let me ask you guys this. Do you guys have sort of, situational bourbons and when i say situational i mean like, oh yeah i, 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 <laughs> I, I mean, know what you yeah, mean yeah like like he said like the maid cleaning the house yeah. or mowing <laughs> the grass but like you just say you're just on a sunday kicking back watching the nfl or yeah. you're around other bourbon enthusiasts or yeah, yeah you're just you know in the car no, well, not the car. You're not <laughs> yeah. drinking it. You're not, you're not drinking it. Yeah, you're drinking it. But yeah, you just you just may be at a game, or you may just be at a social function. Do you guys have different tastes or different bourbons that you kind of go to, um, mm-hmm. just when you're in different environments? Yeah, I, I mean, I'll let Kenny go, but I mean, I've got like thirty. Yeah, I got thirty. I'll, in that I'll, I'll I'll start, but let's. I want to get you started here. You got because we got six drinks well, in front of you. See, I want, I, I want it, you to kind of. It didn't take long. It didn't take long for him to take over. <laughs> it was okay. like, I was like, I want you to get so started you, here. One of the things that you brought up earlier is that you brought up like you you you're working on your nose, like the, the palate. So, in uh, the tasting process, so I want to kind of go through a little bit of like how I taste and how I taste in competition. Mm-hmm. That might you know something might strike with you, and some of it you know maybe you, you might be all horse shit and. <laughs> And that's fine, too. I love it. So the first thing you want to do, and this will help you in kind of like assessing like what you like, is you look at the color. The color is an indication of its time in the barrel, how long it's been there. The longer it's been sitting in the barrel, the darker it'll be. It'll also be an indication of its proof. So when you're, 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 look, you're swirling around, you're looking at these legs, mm-hmm. and you kind of just like, you want to you, you like assess them and how they drip down. The... You'll find that some of them are kind of like globlets. You know, they kind of like glob down. Some of them are really, uh, really tight, and they kind of drip down slowly and will be long. And then some just kind of stick there. And this is an indication of like the oils and the fatty acids that kind of survived, uh, you know, distillation and the aging process. And it's really not anything you can, um, you know, critique, but it's something to keep an eye on. And you can actually identify the distillers based on uh, their legs. And then after that... You, so, by the way, you need to be at Fred's level to be able to identify the distiller based on the uh, legs yeah, of the whiskey. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> most of us will be like, uh, yep, looks like whiskey to me. And so and the other part is like the swirling part, what this does is it actually pushes the aromatic properties up to the, to the surface of that glass. So if you just stick your nose in there before, uh, before, uh, before swirling... You're going to still have some of those aromatic properties just kind of like, you know, suck down there at the bottom. So you want to swirl it up, bring it to your nose. And when you smell, what you want to do is you actually want to smell with your mouth open. By smelling with your mouth open, you're relaxing your olfactory and you're allowing, you know, you're not you're not allowing the alcohol to beat your nose up, if you will. Okay. And the, so the first thing that you're doing here is you're looking to make sure that there are no flaws. And flaws are basically... Um, you know, this is kind of a protection measure. You you were in Russia. 
you know, there are thousands of people who die there a year from bad alcohol. So you're not going to get that from buying it on the shelf or whatever, but you still need to kind of like make sure there's not anything that smells like a like a sweaty gym sock. You don't want to smell um, turpentine, you know, you don't want to smell those kinds of things. And by the way, I have I have noted things like drywall, burnt plastic, you know, all kinds of um, there's all kinds of like construction material notes that you can find. And um, it, that's a thousand percent like a flaw. And so you can pick that up, you notate it, you know, ding it however you want to do it. And then from there, what you're doing is you're looking for what smells are you picking up. With any kind of bourbon, you're you're typically gonna get some you're you you're typically gonna get things that are either on the grain side or on the sweet side and a whole lot in between. Mm-hmm. And so like a grain could be like a fresh corn on the cob or it could be cornbread straight out of the oven. The in-between um, is, you know, you'll find like a lot of spices. And when we say spices, we're typically talking about baking spices. So you're like in cinnamon, nutmeg, um, you know, things. You, you can even pick up like some herbs. You know, sometimes it'll be something in there like a, like a soapy cilantro or you might get, um, you know, people even smell weed. You know, mm-hmm. so you get all you can get all kinds of stuff like that, and then on the sweet side, uh, caramel and vanilla are really kind of like targets, and it, it's it's uh, it may sound lazy, but you know you do see a lot of caramel in uh, in tasting notes because uh, it's just ever present, and it's a very present uh, note in uh, in bourbon, especially. Is that something that comes from the barrels? Yeah, since the barrels, fresh oak, Th- you know, thousand, charred oak barrels, thousand percent. Yeah, yeah. that the barrel is. Um, between yeah. that and the vanilla or vanilla vanillins, vanillins, what are they? Vanillins. Vanillins. See, I yeah. was close. Vanillins. I was close. Okay. You'd think after a few years doing this, I would have the words down by now. But I mean, yeah, those are probably the, the two most prominent flavors you're gonna find in a lot of whiskeys because of those uh compounds that are extracted from the wood. So as you're sitting there smelling, uh, I'll go back to one of the first questions you were talking about of uh situational or context kind of bourbons, you know, like which ones you drink in here or there. You know, for me, if I am just in a regular social atmosphere um, at an event or something like that, I'm going to look for a bourbon that's probably going to be somewhere between the the 90 to 100 proof. Um, you know, whether that's, a, a again, a four rows, a small batch, an old Forester signature, um, something that is, I'm not really going for barrel proof because that's not really like the type of situation that I want to be in where I'm sitting there just drinking barrel proof whiskey. Mm-hmm. Uh, other times I'm also in a uh, kind of a, a social context. I'm usually drinking cocktails as well, whether it's an old fashioned or a Manhattan, something like that. That's that's kind of where I fit in there. Now on a uh, a night where I'm hanging out with a, a bunch of my friends down here, especially the, the whiskey geeks, uh, those are the nights that I hate the most because uh, nobody wants to just drink the regular shit. They they all want to drink all the limited editions and all the crazy unicorn bourbons and everything like that. Um, so you know you gotta you gotta kind of you gotta have a reason to open them and let you know let people share them and stuff like that too. So, uh, so usually that's when people come over. We'll start breaking out good bottles. Uh, if it's just by myself, uh, whether I'm sitting here just in the basement uh, chilling, watching a movie by myself, or watching a game or something like that, uh, it really just depends on my mood and kind of also the, the like the time of the day as well. So, uh, you know, if it's in the middle of the day like today, if we're sitting here recording and not like two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, I'm probably not going to go with something that's a, a barrel proof heavyweight or anything like that. I'm trying to find something that has more of those, uh, those caramel kind of, uh, flavors to it that are very soft and, uh, kind of rich to it as well. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then I would say if I hadn't had anything to drink all day and it's my, 
kind of first night or first drink of the night or anything like that. And it's, uh, you know, just kind of winding down sort of thing. You know, 9, 10 PM. Yeah. I'll pour myself something that's like 120, 130 proof, something like that. And just kind of use that to kind of, kind of chill out with that one. That's kind of, that's sort of my my contextual way to do it. So, and I, I'm very much in the in the camp of flavors. Like what flavor mood am I in? And and I've you know kinda like when I'm in a cornbread mood, I get me a bottle of Booker's. Um or I'll get some kind of um get like a JW Dant bottle and bond or Evan Williams bottle and bond, which has a nice cornbread note in there. If I want kind of a malty um you know, if I'm in a malty mood you know, then I'm probably dipping into something like Henry McKenna. Um, if um, if I'm in a like, you know, fuck the world mood, <laughs> you know, uh, probably some wild turkey and ginger ale or something like that. And, you know, it's funny, like I don't drink when I'm in a bad mood. I don't taste when I'm in a bad mood because like everything to me, every, every mood, everything that you do can impact your taste. And if you're in a mood and you're just drinking, you know, uh, that can be bad. You know, before you know it, you're three quarters of a bottle in and you know nothing nothing good happens nothing good comes from that (laughs) um but uh for me it's it's always about flavors and like what kind of a mood i'm am i in from a flavor perspective and i'll tell you bourbon's not always the mood i'm in sometimes i want a a crisp cold beer sometimes I, i want a tequila sometimes i want um you know a luscious single malt or or uh Rum, rum, rum is <laughs> rum is my mistress, you know. And there's uh, there's a few rums in particular that uh, I just you know I would drop everything for in a heartbeat. So, mm-hmm. so a little bit on the taste too, like as you taste, like this is this is the part where you know you can kind of you can separate the bourbons in in a lot of ways. Um, you're gonna find the flavors that you find based on what what you can detect, but feeling the where it hits on different parts of the tongue. And how it feels on the tongue? Does it feel like butter dripping down? Does it feel like a like a like hot oil? What does it feel like on your tongue? Um, and so you'll you know find the different parts of that it's that that they're hitting. If you're finding that it's hitting in more parts in the on the tip of your palate, you know you can dissect that down. Start thinking about sweet. That's typically where we detect the sweet and they detect the savory in the middle and the spices toward the back. Some of you, some you know, some flavors you detect spices everywhere. So someone will be like a real spice bomb. And what I find is that new uh, people new into bourbon often confuse like alcohol strength, um, you know, for for spice. And so think about like the the if if you're feeling like a like a pulsating um, energy, yeah, right on your palate. If you're feeling that on your tongue, that's the alcohol strength. If you feel, um, if you feel like a tickle, you know, kind of like, um, like just like a pepper would hit, hit it'll tickle your palate and it's spicy and then it's gone. That's spice. So being able to understand the dip for your palate, understanding the differences between spice and alcohol strength is one of the key steps in, um, in your progression. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So what would you say your go-to is? If you guys just, oh, if it's just one bourbon, it's. This is my go-to. This is what I'm going to drink. See, Larry, this is uh, this is the problem that we have nowadays. Um, I think I speak for Fred and I both that we both own more whiskey than we could drink in our lifetime, right. and <laughs> and so, well, and at least in my lifetime. I don't know about you, Fred. You, you uh, could what, you could you would you say the same thing? Maybe you own as much whiskey as you could drink in your lifetime right now. Uh, 
Let's say you had. Let's say you. I've got a couple thousand bottles. Let's so yeah. say yeah. You say you limited yourself to two ounces a day. Like if you were able to do that, like no, there's no way. Because <laughs> no I'm constantly buying too. Yes, and that stuff's yes. always getting sent. So, so yeah. for me, like I get that a question a lot. My family is all like, "Oh, yeah." So, like, what's your favorite bottle? Like, what do you always go towards? Mm-hmm. And I'm and, and you were down here too. Like you see all the bottles on my wall. Like I don't really have a go to. I mean, I'm I'm sitting here kind of going back to what Fred was saying earlier. It just depends on. What your mood is at the moment? I mean, do you want something that's more caramel, more more flavor, like you know, more softer and rich like that, or do you want something that has uh, a little bit more, a little more bang, a lot more spice to it, more proof? So for me, it, it is. It always depended upon the situation. Now, if there is something that I will gravitate towards more than uh, something like if we're just looking at the bottles that are here in front of me, uh, Booker's is one thing that I'll, I'll always typically uh, go towards, only because. Booker's in itself is uh, it's a very good bourbon. It's uh, usually around a six to eight year six to eight year old product comes in at barrel proof. And the one thing about a barrel proof whiskey is that you can experience it in a multitude of different ways. Whether you want it neat and to get all the flavor, or do you want to dilute it and maybe put a little bit of water into it, or you know, really open up the flavors a little bit more. Do you want to try it on ice to be able to cool it down a little bit? So Booker's in itself has you know. A, multitude of faces to it and that's really what i like about that particular product so i'm always very nervous about answering this and reason why every time um it's the fred minnick effect i do something like this i can't get my bottles anymore so um um, the bottles that i consistently have in my house are bookers uh four roses small batch and single barrel old forester 1920 used to be well our 12 year old used to be henry mckenna um and let's see you know he's the one to blame on the whole henry mckenna shortage right like it's it's fred's it's fred's fault that's he's you know he crowned that or no he helped in a participation of making that the world's greatest whiskey uh, a few years ago and then all of a sudden gone right yeah he had a part he had a part in that and Weller, before that, it was in like 2010 uh 2011 like i was like talking about when i was writing for tasting panel i was uh I was basically writing about Weller, twelve-year-old, in every issue, and it, that was that magazine was like went to bartenders, and that's kind of like where my where that whole thing started mm-hmm. was with Weller twelve. And it, let's be honest, like if it wasn't me, someone else. I mean, it's a the whiskeys are so good. I'd say right now the whiskey that I can't have that I have to have in my house every single day is uh, Old Forester Rye. And it's twenty three dollars a bottle, screw cap, great whiskey, um, and I, you know, I think I've bought two cases of it since it came out. Yeah, I haven't got a chance to try the Old Forester, but for me, um, originally the Woodford Reserve Double Oak that was my favorite. And I'm sure that's, that's probably a good choice. The starter's yeah. favorite for everyone, but then I found a Weller's Antique One Hundred Seven, mm-hmm. and I think that's my new favorite. So I'm sure you guys have tried that. What was you guys, or if you even remember, what was your taste palettes, or what did you guys taste when you guys tasted the Antique 107? Well, I can go get a bottle of it right now. We can we can taste it right now. <laughs> but um, you know, the one thing that that you kind of get out of uh, you know just the Weller line in general, 
I mean, you did you get a little bit more of that 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 sweetness uh, out of yeah, it. Yeah, that's what and, I like. You know, the there is the one thing that makes Walla Loa different is because it's a different grain bill or different mash bill than anything else that Buffalo Trace produces, right? So it's the weeded mash bill. Mm -hmm. And so that weeded mash bill definitely has uh, different nuance of flavors. And that, that kind of goes across the board for every distiller that makes a, a weeded bourbon. Um, it's a little bit more approachable. It doesn't have that spiciness characteristic to it that you would get off of a rye-based rye mash bill. And so the Weller line in itself, and don't get me wrong, like there's a lot of good things that Buffalo Trace is doing, um, but what they're doing with the WOL or mash bill um, is something short of amazing because it's it it they do a fantastic job with it. Um, I I don't know if there's another weeded mash bill out there that, in my opinion, uh, is kind of even getting close to what they're able to accomplish there. Um, but that being said, you know that particular whiskey in itself, like I said, it just has a lot of those those sweeter characteristics and those notes to it that I often enjoy too. Yeah, I think um, I'm probably not. A, I'm not as big of a fan as the 107 as uh, as Kenny is. Um, I think it's often bottled uh, before it's ready. I get um, it, again. This is going toward the the uniqueness of everyone's palate. Mm -hmm. Someone who loves oak, and I detect oak in 107 a lot. Um, I find that it it just needs a little bit more time. Uh, but it, in general, like the barrel picks, I find fantastic. But the regular, everyday pulling it off the shelf, eh, it, it, to me, it's inconsistent. And I get a big oak note in there. Um, but I'm still buying it. You yeah. know, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm still buying it uh, because it it's does. We have it hits that it hits a particular sweet spot for me when I'm in the mood for a little caramel and a little oak. Mm -hmm. So no, absolutely. That's uh, it. It. it it's one of those. Mm -hmm. Right. And so one one other question that I have is I'm to the point now where I really don't like mixing things with my bourbon. Bad boy. Yeah. When I, so when I first started, I always splash a little ginger ale in there or mm -hmm. just dabble a lemonade. But now it's just to the point, just straight bourbon. So now uh, I haven't gotten to the point. I'm still trying to learn of when's good to, to add ice to maybe the high proof or finding out which ones I like, maybe adding a little ice and how much ice to add. But with rye flavors, since they have a little more spice, the bourbons with the high rye mash bills, are those make the best mixing uh, bourbons if you're going to do mixing? I, I prefer rye-based bourbons when I make a cocktail. That's I for think, sure. I, I really think if you, if you were to... So if you go... So the bartending community is really led by... Uh, like who's going in that bar and like selling them and like getting them to mix with it. Bartenders are so talented, you know, and they can make anything they want with anything. Mm -hmm. And so uh, you, you see like um, having been in the business for over a decade, like it's funny because I've seen the trends um, and I've seen like what, you know, who owns bars. You know, you, you can see like a particular company just be the back wall of like a, Ve a Vegas and it's like, oh, it looks like Bacardi owns this bar. It looks like Diageo's got this one. You know, so sometimes like um, it can dic that's what dictates what's being served at bars. Um, but when you really dial it in and you let the bartenders pick what they want, they're almost always picking a rye or a rye-based bourbon um, because the weeded bourbons tend to get lost in all those ingredients. Like... Um, there's very few of them that can stand up. I think Maker's 46, which is a weeded bourbon, 
that has uh, French oak staves added to it and gives a little bit of spicy backbone to it because of the French oak. I think that's one weed of bourbon that can do all right. Uh, Weller uh, Antique 107 is another one that actually, because it has comes in at a higher proof, it actually can do very well. And um, nobody's mixing with Pappy. You know? <laughs> so actually there was one guy, he made jello shots out of him at Meta, and, but... You know, he doesn't get his pappy allocation anymore yeah, after that. It's another story, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I think you, you know, you've obviously, um, you're, you're onto something there. Like, the the rye um, and the rye bourbons are what people mix with more th- more so than not. And typically, do you mix the lower quality bourbons yeah. for sure? Yeah, like they, you said, that's you don't mix a, the, the higher ones, but. Yeah, yeah. so if you're like, if you're looking at what a bar does, they're going to do it based on pricing. Yeah, it's, it's you, pricing more than quality. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's because the thing is, quality is all over the place, and what somebody perceives as a good value is something that, you know, that's really all over the place for what people see. Now, when you when you do this and you're trying to make a cocktail for $12, you're probably not going to use a $60 right. base bourbon, right? You're going to try to find something that you can get at wholesale. Between fifteen, you know, around a fifteen dollar price point, it's probably what you're what you're shooting for, um, because it's, your dollars can go further. I mean, it's just right. business at the end of the day right. for most of those people. With that said, like in terms of like what I'm mixing with uh, at home, it's not so much me as my wife. My wife <laughs> um, is a huge bourbon fan, and she unfortunately will mix with my rare, allocated, hard to find bourbons. I'm on a trip. I'm on a trip. I get back from uh, from New York. I'm in New York for like a week or something. I come home and um, I'm looking at my Booker's Rye. And by the way, Booker's Rye was my favorite, one of my top five ryes ever. Uh, we gave it a whiskey of the year when it came out when I was with Whiskey Advocate. And uh, it's phenomenal. And it was gone. And I was like, what happened? She's like, oh, I was making whiskey sours with it. They make It makes really good whiskey sours. That was my, I, I, I mean... I've I'm in love with my wife. I've never came close to a divorce. <laughs> that was your coming to but Jesus that, moment. That was I know you. I know your friend. I know you're new to marriage. But if she's a bourbon fan, hide the good stuff because she will make whiskey sours. At least that's my experience. But, <laughs> but that's uh, so she's making she's making God knows what when uh, when I'm out of town because every time it'll be like my my Willet's a little lower, my Weller's a little lower. It's like this has got to stop. Oh man! You didn't think you were going to be doing couples counseling? Yeah, no, it oh, just turned man. into a therapy I'm, session. Listen, man, I'm recently married four years. I'm I'm getting into it. My wife will dabble in the bourbon here and there. She'll make a, I'll, you know, I'll get up and fix myself. I call it a gentleman's drink, which is about about a shot, maybe about a half a shot. So about a shot and a half, and I'll just get up, fill the bottom of my little glass. She got me my gentleman's drink glass, and you know, I fill the bottom up and just sit there while I'm watching TV series or watching a game or something. Put my feet up and just sip slow and she'll be like well you might as well fix me one too so i'll fix her well but nice. she doesn't she doesn't really know you know she's not into it like i am larry she it's just, a slippery slope yeah she just wants to be a, a good teammate man so she sits there <laughs> i tell you what bring her uh take her to buffalo trace we'll set you up with a tour with freddie and you know there will be no way she doesn't walk away a bourbon fan really and you know i've actually done i've done tour at buffalo trace i've done a tour at wolford I think the next one I want to do is I want to do a uh, Mitchers. Yeah, yeah, they're Mitchers. great. I want yeah, to yeah. do a Mitchers. Yeah. Um, There's so many that are popping up now. I mean, you've got a lot of stuff that's happening downtown Louisville. There's a huge revitalization. 
every distillery is going through massive expansion. Right, the so, urban yeah. distilleries downtown. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So there's uh, there's no shortage of places to come visit in Kentucky now to go get your your distillery fix. And that's that's starting to be one thing where people have to start figuring out is uh, how do you start differentiating yourself in a tourism aspect? Right. Yep. I mean that's a huge one right now because. Everybody's got the fifty-one percent corn tour. You know, that's Larry. That's what we always say because right. you know you you learn about what makes a bourbon. It's fifty. Got to be at least fifty-one percent corn. Uh, new charred oak container. It's got to be distilled at no more than one hundred and sixty proof. Going to the barrel at no more than one hundred and twenty-five proof. And when you hear that time and time and time again at all these distilleries, you got to figure out. Okay, we've heard this before. Now they what's change. next? Well, I mean, it's 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 one of those things that. You know, you're probably just beginning on your your bourbon journey, but you're probably still more more far advanced than 90% of the people that could be going on the bourbon trail. And so as soon as you hear that one time, you're like, oh, yeah, that's right, the angel share. And so you're like, all right, so <laughs> teach me something different. And now you're seeing this, uh, the tourism or bourbonism aspect uh, starting to really grow around here of how are they going to try and really carve a niche out for all these distilleries to try to figure out who's going to be unique, who can who can who can bring you something that's a more memorable experience it's interesting to see where things will go because uh also you know one thing that's changing is that uh, for for a long time the distilling industry was very collegial everybody kind of helped one another you know their their stories of like you know pipes you know just one distiller would uh, be their pipes not would, wouldn't be working and then they'd go to the distiller down the street and they'd help them um, you know, people, when they've had fires, the other distillers will chip in and help them. Um, I'm not saying that level of support will go away, but you're starting to see a lot more competition amongst the brands um, than instead of like a, a kumbaya that, you know, is kind of like we were all brought up in. And what I'm noticing is, is that the trend was always to make the pie bigger for everybody. Mm-hmm. Well, now that it's pretty big, they're fighting for those individual pieces of pie, and uh, it's very interesting. You're, you're coming into the game at a very interesting and competitive time. As long as it's a graham cracker pie crust, I don't care who wins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's let's talk about the blind tasting I just did while you guys were talking. Go for it. Uh, so number two here, number two was very light. Mm-hmm. Okay, it was very light um, in transition. It was very thin, no heat at all, but very thin texture uh, in the transition. I'll tell you about number two. So okay. so number two was this JW Dant. Now, this JW Dant isn't like a standard one that you can buy off the shelf anymore. So this is goes into an era of what we call dusty bourbon, right? So this is coming from DSP KY31. This means that it was distilled at Heaven Hill uh, before the Heaven Hill fire. And dusty bourbon kind of has this, uh, it has a, it, it, you kind of, what you kind of said, it has like this kind of weird kind of funky smell or kind of taste to it. And that's what it is. Like we've old dusty bourbons have a much different flavor profile than modern day bourbons today. Okay. And so you're tasting something that, um, is probably been sitting in this bottle for 10, 15 years. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that, Again, you're going to have a different characteristic note when it comes to dusty bourbons. Right. Okay. So let's move to blind tasting glass number three. Now, blind tasting glass number three uh, was definitely a little thicker with the texture. Still a solid taste. Very flavorful. So that one, not surprising enough, that's Booker's. That's just the standard. This is a 2016 release. 
Um, so just a uh, good old Booker's release right there. Was there a particular note in there you picked up? No. The note that stuck out the most was number four. Okay. Number four stuck out. It had a strong caramel. Like nice. it, the, the caramel was was very dominant and had the most kick. Okay. This had the most kick in transition. Uh, really good. Well, Larry, I uh, pleasantly to hear you say that because that's the one you really wanted to try before we started this. So that's your William Leroux Weller. Really? Yep. That's the 2018, that. 2018 version of William Leroux Weller yeah, right there. It, it was really nice. And none of these really had any heat at all. None of these had any heat. Mm-hmm. And he is. Uh, he's ready. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're tasting these and you're like, there's no heat in this. And your palate is already transforming because that's a that's 125 proof. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're picking. So that's it. That so the thing is is like um, we talk about. Well, what's the word smooth mean? Well, smooth really just means like how does it feel in your palate and on all the way down. And 120 proof bourbon can be far more smooth than 80 proof. And the reason that the that whole that whole uh, like context of of smooth is really it's overplayed. But for you, you're telling us right now that 120 proof didn't feel like it had any heat. That tells me that your palate is already grizzled and grimed and ready to go for more bourbon. Yes, mm-hmm. because to compare this, uh, William LaRue Weller, well, I can vividly remember when I was doing a podcast with my good buddy, Kerry Rhodes, a uh, former NFL guy. We had Colonel E.H. Taylor's small batch, and I believe it was 80 proof. Um, not 100% on that, but just from... Recalling memory, it was 80 proof, but man, it had a punch, had a mean punch and a lot of kick with it. A lot more than William LaRue Weller, which you say is 120 proof. And so it uh, just goes back to what you're saying. Just sometimes, just because it's a higher proof doesn't mean it's going to have a lot more heat or it's going to have a lot more punch. Yeah, that's exactly and right. And that Booker's you just had before was 129.7. So yeah. there you go, creeping up to 130. Right. And number one was, was similar to four, didn't have the kick mm-hmm. and i remember i recall what you said earlier in the podcast about how you saying a lot more of the spice sticks to the back of the mm-hmm. tongue mm-hmm. and number four really uh really stuck to the back of the tongue number one a little bit sweeter didn't kick as much in the back but See, not as not as not as um i think you you know what you're talking about here because number one was the 2015 edition of old forester's birthday bourbon so the yeah. uh, uh the most awkward bottle in bourbon it is pretty awkward because it, it's it's so hard if anybody that is, is ever goes out there just google old forester birthday bourbon and look at the bottle it's hard to put it on your shelf because they you can't put one in front of the other like they don't stack they they're just it's just the most awkward i mean it's a cool looking bottle but it's awkward at that best yeah they have a history of weird decanters too <laughs> <laughs> they look like phallic but i recall um when that came out man it was a lot of people camping out to get that oh bottle. yeah yeah yep, every yep. year yeah, every was, year it's, it's one of those one limited of those, religions yeah. yep it's a hunter for a hunter's sure bourbon for sure kenny larry it has been a pleasure my man fred so there were actually two more glasses that i didn't even see because i was so caught up in talking to the guys about the previous four tastings that i did and it would have been a shame if i hadn't got a chance to taste the last two because the last two were the best two and so the last two were the Blanton's Gold and the Willits Family Estate 10-year. Man, when I tell you they were super smooth and super amazing, that's an understatement. And I can't thank Kenny enough because the Blanton's Gold edition and the William LaRue Weller were the two that he had called wind up that he knew that I was looking for and that I really wanted to try. So I thought that was pretty awesome of him to set those up in the blind tasting. 
The Blanton's had more of a spice flavor to it. The Willits Family Estate 10 year was more of a sweet flavored. And to be honest with you, the Willits probably moved up into one of the top bourbons that I've tried. It's definitely ascended in the ranks. But all six tastings were really wonderful, and I can't thank Kenny enough for not only opening up his bar, but allowing us to taste from some of the exclusive bottles that was on his bar. And so I really hope that you guys enjoyed the episode talking with these gentlemen from Bourbon Pursuit. Hopefully you learned a thing or two. I know that I took away a tidbit from Fred when he was talking about opening your mouth when nosing the bourbon. That was something that I hadn't been doing previously, and it's definitely helped me decipher different aromas and flavors uh, when trying to pick up flavors from bourbons. So I definitely appreciate him from that. And as always, I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Be sure to share with your family and friends, rate us, leave reviews, make sure you send more bourbon suggestions for the bourbon selection of the day. And so now that you've heard the player's perspective and the bourbon perspective, you know what it is. Till next time, it's a wrap. Till next time, it's a wrap.